I'm Bryce Miller. And I'm Jacob Schatz. And this is Talking Atlas. Hello all and welcome back to Talking Atlas. As the name implies, this is our second week of Dominaria spoilers. Going through all these spoilers might take us three weeks. They put a bunch of cards in this set, and I thank them for it. The alternate magic fans are never satisfied joke is, gosh, why did wizards have to give us so many cards that are worth talking about in this set? Ugh. Couldn't they just put some jank in it for once? As though there isn't jank in this set. Speaking of which, Squee the Immortal! Squee is one red red for a 2-1 legendary creature goblin. You may cast Squee the Immortal from your graveyard or from exile. Flavor text. You gotta be pretty smart to live as long as me, but not being able to die helps. Until the set, I had no idea why Squee was immortal. Apparently it's because Yogmoth enchanted him to be so, so that he could be an eternal, I guess, chew toy, essentially, for... Oh, I'm forgetting the name. Jacob, help me out. Oh no, um... Oh no, have we both been caught with our lore pants down? Yep. Hold on a second. Quick, to the internet! Uh... Ah, it was so he could be killed by Krovax and Airtie, according to MTG Salvation. Thank you. There's something pleasing about the almost Renaissance feel of the pose that Squee is in. He's very jaunty. And I presume he's holding his eponymous toy? Yes. Which is, yes, for those unaware, Squee's toy. The next card is Chainer's Torment. It's three and a black for an enchantment saga. If you don't know what that is, check out the previous episode. It's one and two are, it deals two damage to each opponent and you gain two life. It's three is, create an XX Black Nightmare Horror Creature Token where X is half your life total rounded up. It deals X damage to you. This card leads me into a really cool Easter egg that was engineered by, I believe, Kelly Diggs. Correct me if I'm wrong, Jacob. That is correct. Every set in Magic's history that has been on Dominaria is referenced in flavor text or names for the cards in Dominaria, the set. This one, then, covers Torment. To me, that is one of the great successes that I have seen in this set, is keeping Dominaria lore present, but in a way that is not in your face. I suppose the names of sets on Dominaria is maybe a little bit of a stretch. Perhaps that's more applicable to the fact that this is Magic's 25th year and a set to celebrate that. But overall, it is true that the flavor has been present. It's all steeped in it, but it is not shoved in your face in such a way that it would be overwhelming to a new player, I, I suspect. The difference is that it's not required in order to enjoy the lore of the set. That was one of the big problems with Time Spiral Block is if you didn't understand what the cards were referencing, there wasn't a payoff for you. If you understood it, great, cool, this is a card that I can understand. But if you didn't get the lore reason, then you also didn't quite understand why it was mechanically doing some of the things that it was doing. I know it's not the first time that we've made this statement about a set, but Dominaria feels like Time Spiral that works. Not that we don't enjoy Time Spiral, but it's a pretty well-accepted fact that it was popular among enfranchised players, and then newer players it was completely impenetrable to. Next, a reprint I want to only reference for its flavor text. Siege Gang Commander. With flavor text. Ready? Uh, fire! <laughs> also a very appropriate return to form for goblins. I don't think they left the form, so one wonders why they returned to it. But here we are. 
If it ain't fixed, don't break it. That's goblin wisdom for you. That's actually stellar goblin wisdom. (laughs) Have you considered writing flavor texts for cards? I'd like to. I know. Another cool uncommon commander here, Valduk, Keeper of the Flame. Two and a red for a 3-2 legendary creature, Human Shaman. At the beginning of combat on your turn, for each aura and equipment attached to Valduk, Keeper of the Flame, create a 3-1 red elemental creature token with Trample and Haste. Exile those tokens at the beginning of the next end step. In at least one way, we've already discussed some of the aura and equipment themes in this set. I'm going to discuss it from yet a different angle. I think that this is a really excellent way to explore more interesting mechanics for limited and beyond for red and white. As far as commander is concerned, red-white or red and white as monocolors are frequently seen as the weakest colors slash color combination because they have very little access to card draw. They're focused sometimes too much on aggressive cards such that the cards you see in most sets that might be more constructed playable are not necessarily that commander playable. Aura and equipment themes are both interesting and pretty decent if you commit to them. Also, this can be said about most things, but Skulk Lamp is disgusting with this commander. <laughs> if nothing else, having Valduk and Skulk Lamp, swing three, draw two, that seems fine. I really appreciate that Valduk does not have to attack in order to get you all of these tokens. Oh, yes, thank you. I looked at this effect and I said, well, sure, but he's going to die after the first switch. Oh, 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 well, now. In some ways, it's a shame that we need to make that statement, but it's very good that we are reaching a point where we can let red and white do the red and white things in a way that doesn't require the thing to turn sideways. Admittedly, it makes ball lightnings that are going to turn sideways, but your game plan and the decisions that you make can revolve around keeping your commander alive as opposed to turning him sideways every turn. Yes, there's obviously nothing wrong with the red card doing a red thing. The nice bit is doing a red thing that doesn't require that risk. Next, another uncommon legendary, Tatyova, Benthic Druid. Three green-blue for a 3-3 legendary creature, Merfolk Druid. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, you gain one life and draw a card. Now that I've appropriately warmed up to the legendary border, oh, it's so nice in blue-green. I'm biased because blue-green is my favorite color combination, but oh my god, it's so nice. Next up we have Shalai, Voice of Plenty. Three and a white for a 3-4 legendary creature, Angel. She has Flying, and you, Planeswalkers you control, and other creatures you control have Hexproof. She also has an activated ability, four green-green, put a plus one, plus one counter on each creature you control. When July was first spoiled, my mind immediately went to Sigarda, as Sigarda is also a white-green legendary angel commander that gives you hexproof. And some friends of mine pointed out that, yes, that is true, but Shalai occupies a different niche and a different kind of build-around effect than Sigarda does. For one, Sigarda, host of herons, is human tribal. She gives you and humans hexproof. So to speak it briefly, she gives humans hexproof. Heh. Which unfortunately is not helpful for those like me who are in fact lizard people. That's right. What? What? Hmm? Hmm? <coughs> Chafes quietly. <laughs> 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 uh. 
anyway, pray continue. Shalai's activated ability gives you some more firepower to close out a game, which I appreciate. Also, brief correction, I inverted my Sigardas. Sigarda Heron's Grace is the newer iteration that gives you and humans hexproof and can also make humans. It's Sigarda Host of Herons that is the original version that prevents you from sacrificing permanence. Next up, Naban, Dean of Iteration. One and a blue for a 2-1 legendary creature, Human Wizard. If a wizard entering the battlefield under your control causes a triggered ability of a permanent you control to trigger, that ability triggers an additional time. Flavor text. Perfect. Now do it again. No. No? No. You don't want to do it again, or you don't want wizards to be copied? Well, you don't want wizards' triggered abilities to be copied. That one. We went over this when we went through our commander spoilers. Inala was bad enough. Naban is two mana. Yeah, he's going to be a staple. As a reminder, Inala Archmage Ritualist, I want to say, is one of the commanders from Commander 2017. She's specifically the Grixis Wizard Tribal one, and her ability says that if she's on the battlefield or in the command zone, because why not, you can pay one when a wizard enters under your control to make a token of it. Which also means we have out Naban. We have Inala, let's say, in the command zone. It doesn't really matter where she is. I play a wizard with an enter the battlefield ability. Naban lets me duplicate that wizard's ability. Also, it lets me duplicate Inala's ability. It does not if she's in the command zone. Oh, no. Only if you have her on the battlefield, though. Thank goodness for that. That That's is the, the one only saving blessing. Grace. Still pretty good because you end up getting wizard copied, both ETBs also copied. If she's on the battlefield, it gets that much stronger. As for the flavor of this card, wonderfully, wonderfully laid out, Naban himself is almost perfectly symmetrical up to and including the spells that he is casting, but there are some small, meaningful details that show that it's it's not some sort of illusion, it's not an intentional, oh look, this mage is exactly mirroring what we are seeing, because he's a little bit off-center, and some of his pose is a little bit different on one side than the other. Altogether, very well executed. One of the other legendary wizards we got, Narumeha, also has a really nice symmetry to her, and what I was hoping for when we didn't have the full spoiler was that we would get a vertical cycle of wizards from Tolaria West, all of whom had this symmetry going on. Narumeha is mythic, Naban is rare, there is unfortunately no uncommon wizard legend that continues this trend. Next, Lyra Dawnbringer, who is a talking point for two completely different reasons in my mind, and in other people's minds too, I think. She's three white-white for a 5-5 legendary angel. She has flying, first strike, and lifelink. Also, other angels you control get plus one plus one and have lifelink. The first talking point may be obvious. She's a 5-mana five 5-5 five five with flying, first strike, and lifelink. Comparisons are made to an angel whose name I forget. Baneslayer Angel. Baneslayer Angel is the point of comparison. Baneslayer Angel is the... Scourge might be a strong word... In the standard that she was present in, Baneslayer Angel was known as Wallet Slayer Angel. She was that good that she had to be included everywhere. Three white white for a 5-5 five five angel. Flying, first strike, lifelink, protection from demons and from dragons. Notwithstanding that Dominaria is in a very different standard than whatever one Baneslayer Angel was in, this is a 5-mana five 5-5 five five with the same keywords and a different second ability that is probably more relevant than... Pro Demons and Dragons. 
the other reason that Lyra Dawnbringer is a talking point. I cannot state enough how beautiful the Banalian slash Church of Sarah stained glass is, and oh my god, this art is so gorgeous. I'm so happy that Chris Ron exists. I'm sure he is, too. Seriously, though, great job. Quite possibly my second favorite commander from this set. Moldrotha the Gravetide. Three black, green, blue for a legendary creature, Elemental Avatar. Moldrotha is a 6-6 with, during each of your turns, you may play up to one permanent card of each permanent type from your graveyard. Flavor text, my child grew from rot and ruin, yet she bloomed. Multani. This card is so Jacob that it almost hurts. It's a 6-6 for 6, and also it plays into reanimator strategies. It's a walking reanimator strategy. Walking, surging, oozing. These are terms. Flowing. Flowing. Flowing is a bit more generous than what I was using. I mean, it's made of swamp water, so oozing isn't out of the question. I'm seriously considering replacing Tassiger as my commander with Muldrotha. And that's saying something, because Tasker has sat pretty there for a long time. I think Muldrotha will build really cool decks. I also think that Muldrotha will build very repetitive decks. I'm pretty sure she is the new flavor of the month. Not to belittle commander players. I, I don't mean to say that they're fickle and they swap something new and they go, oh, look at this, this one's really good and going to be powerful. But because she is so cool and does so many cool things, she is going to be everywhere. I draw a cautious comparison to the Gitrog monster. I love the Gitrog unconditionally. A lot of people made a lot of Gitrog decks when Gitrog came out. And in fairness, the Gitrog monster is very good. And there's that one combo that is very repetitive and pretty much wins the game if you use it. The Gitrog monster lets you draw cards when a land is put into your graveyard from anywhere. There's a land that lets you dredge, which is put cards from your library into your graveyard. Altogether, Gitrog plus that land you can draw your deck. Now, this is getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, but because I'm sure that Jacob is bursting, would you like to tell them your first favorite commander in this set? I absolutely would. I can't believe that Wizards of the Coast made a card specifically for me, but they done did it, and now we have Yargle, Glutton of Urborg. Four and a black for a legendary creature, Frog Spirit! Yargle is a vanilla 9-3 with flavor text. When Belzenlock's lieutenant, Yarkul, grew too ambitious, the demon lord transformed him into a maggot. The frog that ate the maggot grew and grew until a ravenous spirit burst from its body. This card is so Jacob that it actually hurts. I read the spoiler and I felt an aching in my heart that I knew must have been the joy emanating forth from Jacob some half a mile away. Our first conversation in person after this card got spoiled went thusly. Bryce, have you seen the new spoil? Me. Yargle! The other option that I was entertaining was Jacob gets in car. Okay, Jacob, go ahead. My response would have been essentially the same. Agreed. Yargle is adorable. It's such a weird little creature. I had the pleasure of listening to some of Loading Ready Run's pre-pre-release before recording today. During the first game, Adam Savadan played Yargle, and the chat went ballistic. 
Kelly Diggs was sitting in on that match, one of the members of the creative team, and I believe the creative lead for Dominaria. And he described the process of making Yargle. Apparently Yargle was originally a much more annoying legendary creature with a good effect. I believe it was uh, similar to the Abyss. Oof. Yeah. All of the notes on that were, hate the card, love the name. Because apparently, from its inception, Yargle was named Yargle. I'm so glad. Also, the Abyss makes each player destroy things they control. It's not super fun. So eventually, they wanted to have a vanilla legendary creature in the set. And they finally tuned Yargle to be weird and quirky and cute, honestly. They gave it a stat line that had never been given in Magic before. There are no other 9-3s in the game of Magic. And they made it a frog spirit. Because, you know, who expects a frog to be in this set? Not I. In a set that is all about the history of Magic, I'm glad that there's still room to put in something like Yargle. It's not really tied to anything, but it's finally crafted enough to still make players appreciate it for what it is. Novelty in a set about history is impressive to sell. Going on now to a legend long overdue a card, Joda, Archmage Eternal. He is overdue a card because he is, in fact, immortal. He's one blue, red, white for a 4-3 legendary creature human wizard with flying, and you may pay white, blue, black, red, green rather than pay the mana costs for spells that you cast. Flavor text. Chronicles across the ages describe Joda. They likely refer not to one mage, but to a family or an arcane title. Much like Muldrotha, I think Joda will have a lot of fun decks. I also think he will have a lot of unfun extra turn decks, where all they try to do is cast extra turn spells for five mana. We have a cycle of non-basic lands. They are all memorial to blank. They all enter the battlefield tapped. They can tap to add one color of mana to your mana pool. And they have an activated ability that is a spell-like ability of some kind. And I think they're all references to earlier spells. I anticipate so. They're pretty normal effects as far as effects go. So I have not checked whether they are actual cards with the same mana cost. I know for a fact that cards exist with these abilities. Memorial to Glory makes two soldiers. That could be raise the alarm. Memorial to Genius, you draw two cards. That could be divination. But I don't know if there is a three and a white make two soldiers or a four and a blue draw two cards. The art for each of the memorials also depicts a statue somewhere of a legendary creature from Magic's past. My personal favorite reference here is that Urza is on two of the memorials, Memorial to Genius and Memorial to Folly, which is quite poetic because those are two completely valid readings of who Urza was as a person. He was a genius who made lots of advancements in magical technology, and he was also kind of a jerk who blew up a lot of stuff. Next, a legend that I'm pretty sure made me laugh out loud when I saw it. Slin Voda, the Rising Deep. Six blue-blue for an 8-8 legendary creature, Leviathan. Kicker one in a blue. When Slin Voda, the Rising Deep, enters the battlefield, if it was kicked, return all creatures to their owner's hands, except for merfolk, krakens, leviathans, octopuses, and serpents. This is, I believe, the third card in Magic's history to refer to the creature types, krakens, leviathans, octopuses, and serpents, 
the other two being Quest for Ula's Temple and Whelming Wave. This seems like a commander for a very particular type of player, like my roommate who has a Sea Monster Tribal deck that now could have an actually very thematic commander. Going back just a little bit, Sage of Lotnam, one and a blue for a 1-2 creature-human artificer. Tap, sacrifice an artifact, draw a card. My favorite fun fact for this is Sage of Lotnam has been every rarity in its three printings except for Mythic because it was a common in Antiquities, a rare in 8th edition, and now an uncommon in Dominaria, where is honestly probably where it should be. One of our mono-green uncommon legendary creatures is Grun, the Lonely King. Four green-green for a 5-5 legendary creature Ape Warrior with Kicker 3. If Grun the Lonely King was kicked, it enters the battlefield with 5 plus 1 plus 1 counters on it. And whenever Grun attacks alone, double its power and toughness until end of turn. This is quite possibly the biggest thing that will get chump blocked at your pre-release. <laughs> I love the incongruity. Actually, that's funny. In Kong... Gruity. <laughs> that comes of this is a card that makes a lot of sense in an exalted deck exalted is a mechanic that says whenever a creature you control attacks alone it gets plus one plus one for each instance of exalted on permanence you control but exalted is meant to demonstrate how the society and beliefs on the subplane of bant contribute to their single combat and their social systems and then there's grun who is literally an ape the green in Bant's color identity is that at the end of the day, you're still beating each other up in order to demonstrate superiority. Grun's better at that than you. What I expected you to say was that at the end of the day, you're still a hairless ape. <laughs> the rocks take offense to that. <laughs> That's true. They are, in fact, hairless rhino apes. Next, an adorable reference. Two-headed giant. Two red red for a 4-4 giant warrior. Whenever it attacks, flip two coins. If both come up heads, it gains double strike until end of turn. If both come up tails, it gains menace until end of turn. And if one comes up heads and the other comes up tails, they do that thing where they try to run in different directions, but they're on the same body, and then they get mad at each other. And that's why they don't have a keyword. <laughs> but actually, that's, I think, what kind of happens. Yep. Also, flavor and mechanics win in so many ways. And for those who missed the joke, two-headed giant is... The format of magic where you have two on two because you share a life total so you're kind of like two heads in the same body hence giant finally here performing for you it's the newest member of the gatewatch crew oath of tefiri three white blue for a legendary enchantment when oath of tefiri enters the battlefield exile another target permanent you control return it to the battlefield under its owner's control at the beginning of the next end step also you may activate the loyalty abilities of Planeswalkers you control twice each turn rather than only once. Flavor text, for the lost and forgotten, I will keep watch. I'm sure my friends will get very tired of me playing this in Super Friends, but I think I'll be having too much fun to care. This furthers the very legitimate problem that we may now have too many good Planeswalker support cards that I need to make choices about which ones I use. This one is definitely going to be used, I'll tell you that. Next up, Helm of the Host. Four mana for a legendary artifact equipment. At the beginning of combat on your turn, create a token that's a copy of equipped creature, except the token isn't legendary if equipped creature is legendary. That token gains haste. Equip five. 
Every now and again, someone tries to use Mirror Gallery to make a deck. Mirror Gallery says that the Legend rule doesn't apply, so you can have multiple copies of Legendary Creatures. There aren't many of those people out there, but those that do exist are, I'm sure, rejoicing at having, finally, another effect that actually helps with this. Not only that, it's probably way easier to tutor for because it's an equipment. This is true. A reprint that I didn't expect to see, but I'm pretty glad is here. Gilded Lotus. Five mana for an artifact. Tap, add three mana of any one color. Further surprising, not just that it's in this set, it's also in the Planeswalker deck. Huh. That's pretty solid ramp. More so for Commander than for Constructed, but... Huh? This Gilded Lotus has new art by Vulcan Baga, which looks lovely, and I'm also a huge fan of Daniel Lundgren, so I'm... I understand that it is not Daniel Lundgren's gorgeous art. I will have patience with that. To be fair, Vulcan Baga's art is also very nice. I, I just really like... I really like Daniel Lundgren. Like, a lot. His art's awesome. Another piece of gorgeous art from this set, which I'm becoming accustomed to because it's on a saga. The Eldest Reborn. Four and a black for an enchantment. Saga. One, each opponent sacrifices a creature or planeswalker. Two, each opponent discards a card. Three, put target creature or planeswalker card from a graveyard onto the battlefield under your control. The Eldest Reborn depicts Nicol Bolas rising from the dead in a gorgeous painterly style by Jen Ravenna. This is her first magic card, and whoo, I hope we get more. If you're not following art director Mark Winters on Twitter, I implore you to do so. He was the art director for most of the pieces in Dominaria, and he's been giving card-by-card -card stories. A lot of the saga art, but also some of the individual card art. The ideas behind it, and what process some of the artists took to get to the final product. Twitter.com. <laughs> Mark Winters. Cool at Mark Winters art. Okay, good. Good. There you go. Done. Next up, Unwind. Two in a blue for an instant. Counter target non-creature spell. Untap up to three lands. Flavor text. A problem is only a problem if you don't have the tools to correct it. Dwara. This is a neat little callback to Rewind. A counter spell for two blue blue that counters a spell and untaps four lands. Rewind being unconditional is maybe a bit better, but this is a pretty high power level, and also a cute value call. Do you value the one mana less for negate, or the one mana more that, if it works, you get your mana back? I'm sure the answer will be, it depends vastly, depending upon what deck you're playing. This next card is a callback to Hypnotic Spectre. This is Urgaros the Empty One. Four black black for a legendary creature, Spectre. It's a 4-3 flyer with whenever Urgaros the Empty One deals combat damage to a player, that player discards a card at random. If the player can't, you draw a card. I'm quite fond of this because every so often I think about putting a Spectre into a deck and I say, is it really that impactful? Is it going to do enough for me? Well, if it's my commander and it does four damage and also it lets me draw a card once I get their hand empty... Sure. I'd love to build around this. Moving on to Grand Warlord Rada. Two red-green for a 3-4 legendary creature elf warrior. Haste. And, whenever one or more creatures you control attack, add that much mana in any combination of red and or green until end of turn, you don't lose this mana as steps and phases end. On a mechanical side, 
this card's printing proves that I was wrong about the new mana pool non-mention as far as Crufix and Omnath goes. They probably have the same thing of you don't lose mana as opposed to doesn't empty from your mana pool. On the flavor side of things, Rada, if I recall correctly, was for a time a Neo Walker like Venser and all of our current Planeswalkers. She was among the first Planeswalkers to be discovered that had a spark that was not I am a god, it was different, nerfed, reasonable, one might say. The events of Time Spiral and the sealing of the rifts nearly killed her. They did not, as you might guess here, but it did take away her spark. Modern's new ultimate sideboard card is Damping Sphere. Two mana for an artifact. If a land is tapped for two or more mana, it produces one colorless mana instead of any other type and amount. And each spell a player casts costs one more to cast for each other spell that player has cast this turn. This card directly shuts down Urzatron decks that are built around Urza's Mine, Tower, and Power Plant, which all produce more than one colorless mana if you have all three on the field. It also helps to shut down Storm decks. Storm is a mechanic wherein you copy an instant or sorcery that has Storm once for each spell cast before it this turn. Even marginal increases in cost are devastating to Storm, and this is way more than marginal. Modern aside, I fully expect to see this in Commander. It hates on heavy ramp strategies, decks that will use Cabal Coffers to generate lots of mana, Storm decks, which do exist in Commander, and really many decks, because you reach a certain point in Commander and you're casting a lot of spells. I should also remark on the flavor text, it is a Thran Relic, it has spent 10,000 years doing absolutely nothing. Which, if I had to guess, is a reference to the flavor text for Nullrod. Nullrod is a two-mana artifact that says, activated abilities of artifacts can be activated. With flavor text, Gerard. But it doesn't do anything. Hannah, no. It does nothing. Yet another gorgeous piece of art from our friend Titus, Adventurous Impulse. It's a sorcery for a single green mana. Look at the top three cards of your library. You may reveal a creature or land card from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. I don't expect to see this much in other formats, but I think this will be pretty okay as a cantrip for limited. Ooh, flavor text, every odyssey begins with a single step. Hey, Odyssey, another set being name dropped. The art is, of course, gorgeous. We'll gush about it to Titus when he gets here for his review. Since it's gonna happen. Oh, yeah. We have a rather impressive rarity downshift for Thorn Elemental. Five green green for a 7-7 creature elemental. You may have Thorn Elemental assign its combat damage as though it weren't blocked. I don't expect to see this necessarily at Uncommon. Yeah, it's seven mana to get there, but this is almost a guaranteed seven damage if you can't get rid of it. And it's not even like some of the other, what I will refer to as cards with super trample, where it has low toughness. Blocking this with 7 power is also kind of a moot point sometimes. You're going to lose a lot of creatures and or take a lot of damage. Usually or, unless you have trample. A quick remark on the other wizard that I mentioned earlier. Naru Meha, Master Wizard. 2 blue blue for a mythic 3-3 legendary creature human wizard. She has flash and, when she enters the battlefield, copy target instant or sorcery spell you control. You may choose new targets for the copy. And... Other wizards you control, get plus one plus one. 
she too is pulling off the same wonderful symmetry where it's not perfect, but you have to look closely to realize that it isn't exactly mirrored. Unfortunately, I expect a lot of people, including myself, to try and cast this wizard to copy, target, instant, or sorcery spell that I do not control. Don't do it. I D don't. I'm gonna. Don't, don't do it. I'm gonna do it. I know already that I'm gonna do it. Another saga here. Rite of Belzenlock. Two black black for an enchantment saga. One and two are create two zero one black cleric creature tokens. Three is... Create a 6-6 black demon creature token with flying, trample, and, at the beginning of your upkeep, sacrifice another creature. If you can't, this creature deals 6 damage to you. The third ability on this card is a slightly downsized callback to Lord of the Pit, which is a 7-7 that deals 7 to you if you can't sacrifice a creature other than Lord of the Pit. The art for this saga is done by Seb McKinnon, and it's a callback to his art for Dirge of Dread, which is a particularly stylized piece with a bunch of... Apparently laughing skulls. Except this time, all the skulls are pointing in reverence toward Belzenlock. Because it wouldn't be a Belzenlock card if he didn't just insert himself into the frame. What I've learned from this and one other instance, I think it was a saga as well, is that there must have been a little bit of Masters 25 Dominaria cross-art direction to have lined up these styles and situations and characters. And our final card for today... I'm very excited about this one. Tetsuko Umazawa, Fugitive. One and a blue for a 1-3 legendary creature human rogue. Creatures you control with power or toughness 1 or less can't be blocked. Flavor text. My ancestor Toshiro used to say, Life is a series of choices between bad and worse. I'm a master of making great bad choices. As the name indicates, Tetsuko Umazawa is the third person in the Umazawa line that we have seen. There is, let me get this right, Tetsuo Umazawa, who is from Dominaria. Well, not from Dominaria, but he was on Dominaria. He is the great, 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 etc. descendant of Toshiro Umazawa, whom we saw in Kamigawa Block. Tetsuo got on Dominaria as a result of, I believe, Nicol Bolas kind of exiling him there. And now we see an actual modern-day descendant. Tetsuko is also a slap in the face to Bolas because Tetsuo was the one who originally slew Nicobolas, which is why he had to rise from the dead in that saga earlier. As he was being slain, Bolas sweared vengeance on the entire Umezawa line. So the fact that Tetsuko even exists is a little haha at Bolas. That's about all the time that we have for today, but seeing as we still have a couple of the days of proper spoilers before the full gallery was spoiled, yeah, I think we need a third episode for this. We have a full week of spoilers left. Well, Jacob, if someone wanted to know in greater detail just how great Yargle is and how much you will protect him, where could they go? They could find me anywhere they find somebody named Frogger, spelled P-H-R-A-W-G-E-R. -E that's Twitter, that's Tumblr, that's Reddit, and I will not be silenced. And neither should you. And Bryce, if someone wanted to talk to you about the fearful symmetry of wizards, where would they be able to find you? They can find me on Twitter as walking underscore atlas, or you can email us at info at opalnebula.com. For more Talking Atlas, find us on iTunes, Google Play, or our website, opalnebula.com. And if you've enjoyed what you've heard today, please consider finding us on Patreon at patreon.com slash opalnebula. We will see you next week for one last episode of Dominaria Spoilers. 
And until then, happy planeswalking. <laughs>